John Norton, Chapter Fourteen of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. Mr. Hare stood looking at his dead daughter. John Norton sat by the window. His brain was empty. Everything was far away. He saw things moving, moving, but they were all far away. He could not reknit himself with the wort of life. The thread that had made him part of it had been snapped. He knew that Kitty had thrown herself out of the window and was dead. The word shocked him, but there was no sense of realization to meet it. She had walked with him on the hills, she had accompanied him as far as the burg, she had waved her hand to him before they walked quite out of each other's sight. Now she was dead. Had he loved her? Why was there neither burning grief nor tears? He envied the hard-sobbing father's grief, the father who held his dead daughter's hand and showed a face on which was printed so deeply the terror of the soul's emotion that John felt a supernatural awe creep upon him, felt that his presence was a sort of sacrilege. He crept downstairs. He went into the drawing-room and looked about for the place he had last seen her in. She usually sat on that sofa. How often he had seen her sitting there! And now he should not see her any more. Only three days ago she had been sitting in that basket-chair. How well he remembered her words, her laughter! Shadow-like is human life. One moment it is here, the next it is gone. Her work-basket, the very ball of wool which he had held for her to wind, the novel which she had lent to him, and which he had forgotten to take away. He would never read it now, or perhaps he should read it in memory of her, of her whom yesterday he had parted with on the hills, her little Puritan look, her external girlishness, her golden-brown hair, and the sudden laugh so characteristic of her. She had lent him this book, she who was now but clay. He took up his hat and set forth to walk home across the downs, all the while thinking, thinking over what had happened. He had asked her to be his wife. She had consented, and, alarmed at the prospect of the new duties he had contracted, he had returned home. These newly contracted duties had stirred his being to its very depth. The chance appearance of a gypsy girl, Without the aid of that circumstance he felt he would never have spoken, and set his life about with endless eventuality. He could not see to the end. The future he had indefinitely plighted, and his own intimate and personal life had been abandoned forever. He had exchanged it for the life of the hearth, of the family, that private life, private and yet so entirely impersonal, which he had hitherto loathed. He had often said he had no pity for those who accepted burdens, and then complained that they had not sufficient strength to carry them. Such had been his theory. He must now make his theory and practice coincide. He had walked up and down his study, his mind aflame. He had sat in his armchair, facing the moonlight, considering a question to him so important, so far-reaching, that his mind at moments seemed as if like to snap, to break. 
but which was accepted by nine-tenths of humanity without a second thought as lightly as the most superficial detail of daily life but how others acted was not his concern he must consider his own competence to bear the burden the perilous burden he had asked and which had been promised to him he must not adventure into a life he was not fitted for he must not wreck another's life in considering himself he was considering her their interests were mutual they were identical there was no question of egotism but this marriage question had been debated a thousand times in the last six months it had haunted his thought it had become his daily companion his familiar spirit under what new aspect could be considered this question it faced him always with the same unmovable mysterious eyes in which he read nothing which told him nothing of what he longed to know he only knew that he had desired this girl as a wife a desire had come he knew not whence and he asked himself if it were a passing weakness of the flesh or if this passion abided in him if it had come at last to claim satisfaction on this point he was uncertain this was nature's secret in the midst of his stress of mind his eyes had wandered over his books they had been caught by the color of a small thin volume and obeying an instinct he had taken the volume down he knew it well a few hundred small pages containing the wisdom of great greek philosopher epictetus and john had often before turned to this sage discourse for relief in his mental depressions and despair of life the subject for the good and wise man is his master faculty as the body is for the physician and the trainer and the soil is the subject for the husbandman and the work of the good and wise man is to use appearances according to nature for it is the nature of every soul to consent to what is good and reject what is evil and to hold back about what is uncertain and thus to be moved to pursue the good and avoid the evil and neither way for what is neither good nor evil in the light of these words john's mind grew serene as a landscape on which the moon is shining and he asked himself why he had hesitated if marriage were the state which he was destined to fulfill if a habit affects us if a habit affects us against that must we endeavor to find some remedy and what remedy is to be found against a habit the contrary habit a temptation of the flesh had come upon him he had yielded to it instead of opposing it with the contrary habit of chastity for chastity had never afflicted him it had ever been to him a source of strength and courage chastity had brought him peace of mind but the passion to which he had in a measure yielded had robbed him of his peace of mind and had given him instead weakness and agitation of spirit and flesh the last six months had been the unhappiest of his life nothing in this world he thought is worth our peace of mind and love robs us of that therefore it must be maleficent and this passion which has caused me so much trouble what is it a passing emotion of which i am ashamed of which i would speak to no one an emotion which man shares with the lowest animals but which his higher nature teaches him to check 
and subject. Then he remembered that this emotion might come upon him again. But each time he thought, I shall be able to control it better than the last, and it will grow weaker and weaker until at last it will pass, and to return no more. But he had proposed to Kitty, and had been accepted, and for some solution of this material difficulty he had to fall back upon the argument that he had no right to wreck another's life, that in considering his interests he was considering hers, and he had stood in the dawn light pondering a means of escape from a position into which a chance circumstance had led him. He had gone to bed hoping to find counsel in the night, and in the morning he had waked firm in his resolve and had gone to Shoreham in the intention of breaking his engagement. But instead he had witnessed a cruel and terrible suicide, the reason of which was hidden from him. Possibly none would ever know the reason. Perhaps it were better so. The reasons that prompted suicide were better unrevealed. And now, as he returned home after the tragedy, about midway in his walk across the downs, the thought came upon him that the breaking off of his engagement might have been sufficient reason in an affected mind for suicide. But this was not so. He knew it was not so. He had been spared that. She was here with me yesterday, he said, and he looked down the landscape now wrapped in a white mist. The hills were like giants sleeping, the long distance vanished in mysterious moonlight. He could see Brighton. Nearer was Southwick, and further away past the shadowy shore was Worthing. He sat down by the blown hawthorn bush that stands by the berg. A ship sailed across the rays of the moon, and he said, Illusion, illusion, so it is always with him who places his trust in life. Ah, life, life, what hast thou for giving save deceptions? Why did I leave my life of contemplation and prayer to enter into that of desire? Did I not know that there was no happiness save in calm and contemplation? And foolish is he who places his happiness in the things of this world. But what had befallen her? She was mad when she threw herself out of the window to escape from him. But how had she become mad? Yesterday he had looked back and had seen her walking away and waving her parasol, a slight happy figure on the gold-tinted sky. What had happened? By what strange alienation of the brain? By what sudden snapping of the sense had madness come? Something must have happened. Did madness fall like that, like a bolt from the blue? If so, she must have always been mad, and walking home the slight thread of sense half-worn through had suddenly snapped. He knew that she liked him. Had she guessed that when it came to the point that he would not, that he might not have been able to marry her? If so, he was in a measure responsible. Ah, why had he ventured upon a path which he must have known he was not fitted to walk in? End of John Norton, Chapter 14 Recording by James Carson